Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Sarah D. Bunting, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedurals, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or The Mothership. Today we're looking at SVU Season 14, Episode 7, Vanity's Bonfire. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and host of the podcast, Crime Writers On, my wife, Rebecca Lavoy. Good day, Rebecca. Thanks for identifying me as your wife, as if that's more important than all the other credentials. Well, it's probably one that takes up the most time. Well, hello. <laughs> and rounding out the panel is our special guest from the Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs podcast and publisher of the Tomato Nation website, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello. I'm so excited to be here, you guys. Oh, I bet you say that's all the girls and guys. Uh, I, I do, but it doesn't mean it's not true, Kevin. <laughs> I can't believe you're excited to be here. I am talking to freaking Sarah Bunting right now, like one of my no, online wait, wait, wait. heroes. Sarah D. Bunting. Sarah D. Bunting. Because apparently there is another Sarah Bunting who is, do you want to tell the story, Sarah? I don't actually know the story. Incarcerated? Mistakes. She's incarcerated <laughs> in New Jersey, or she was like 10 years ago. There's also a Sarah Bunting on Downton Abbey that oh, I am not. That's right. I am also not her. That boring teacher lady. Oh, yes. yeah. Boy, that, that pinko. Yes. That must have sucked. It's almost as bad as when they, I found out that Kevin Flynn was the lead character in Tron. They had a, they had a guerrilla <laughs> marketing bad. campaign, which was Flynn Lives. <laughs> and my Google alerts were like off the hook. And I was like, God damn it. I've been alive the whole time. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, I, I had the same problem. Just Downton spoilers streaming into my uh, oh. inbox. Thanks, guys. You oh. stay away from that Irish chauffeur. Uh, you're one of the first guests we've ever had that has uh, her own Wikipedia page. Yeah, that's a crazy thing, right? I didn't start it. So <laughs> Somebody stalking you did? No, that actually makes it crazier and better because like, I, I yeah, it, it does. It does. You are honestly an internet hero of mine and I'm not surprised at all to hear that you have a Wikipedia page. I mean, I would have built one for you if you didn't have one already. Ah. Do you ever go on and like say, oh, that isn't, they didn't get that right? Sometimes. They're pretty good. Actually, it turns out that a guy that I met and became friends with, uh, Trip Payne, who is a puzzle maker, he's been a guest on the Extra Hot Great podcast. Is that a real name or? Trip Payne. Yeah. Yes, it is. Okay. Not easy to say. Yeah. Uh, and but... he was in uh, that crossword puzzle documentary. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Anyway, we're friends now, but I think before we knew each other in meat space, as they say, he happened to have taken on the job of editing the Wikipedia page for me and making sure that some of the nastier things that people were trying to make out as true 
Like, there was some factoid on there about my having a sexual relationship with potatoes, which <laughs> I was like, that's close enough. Like, it's not libel exactly. It's, it's close. It's parody. Prove me wrong. I, don't, I can't. I can't do it. You know, Tomato Nation, I have to tell you, uh, yet another website that I once got fired from a job for looking at far too often. <laughs> Let me throw in another fun fact for you, Kevin. Sarah D. Bunting, mm-hmm. unlike me, knows about, cares about, writes about baseball. This is true. I've seen you tweet about people almost hitting for the cycle. Yes. Oh, God. This really has become a peeve of mine. The at bad app keeps saying, like, it's only a triple short of the cycle. Like, so am I. That's the hardest play. one to get. I have no idea what you're talking about. It sounds really it's, difficult. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you're also very pop culture, snarky voice writer, but you're also a serious journalist as well. You've been published in major magazines. When freelance editors call you up or you approach them, do they ever wonder which Sarah D. Bunting they're getting? Well, first of all, thank you, serious journalist. I think I have to go to my Wikipedia page and update it (laughs) with that. I'm not sure I would give myself quite that much credit. It is a little bit weird to be this like Jill of all writing trades, I hope master of a couple, but I do have all these sort of personae in my writing. There's the baseball, there's my true crime blog, The Blotter, there's the music podcast, there's there's all kinds of things. So maybe they do wonder, but I don't think so. I think various editors call me with a particular brief in mind, and if they want me to review the new Inside the Ballpark app... They're not calling from Vanity Fair Weekly, yes, Yes. (laughs) Texas Monthly, exactly. Now, how many times in your career do you think that you've written about Law and Order? I don't know. I couldn't begin. I couldn't begin to estimate so many. You filled at Uh, least one hard drive. Yeah, the most recent one was comparing. I don't know if you guys are watching The Night of on HBO. Mm -hmm. Of course. I'm enjoying it, but it's difficult to actually come up with a take on it every week. So recently, I did a comparison between John Turturro's Jackstone and Michael Moriarty's Ben Stone. <laughs> it's like, who's the more New Yorky? Who's the better respected? Who was played by a complete cuckoo crazy pants who tried to run for prime minister of Israel from Manitoba? <laughs> Guess who won that category? Spoiler! <laughs> yeah, but we're always looking for excuses. On Previously.TV, we uh, did a Law & Order week that I think was the most popular theme week we did until Star Trek week, which tends to win these things. Law & Order week, like, we are really obsessed with it. I love it. I never get sick of talking about it. When the day comes when you cannot find anyone else who watched the entire run of Criminal Intent... I am here for you. <laughs> oh my God. I can't, we have to have her back for a criminal intent episode because I feel like I'm the only one who ever watched that show. I, it's, it's just us too. It really, it, even it Dick Wolf is like, that thing? Was that the one with, uh, what's her name? Govich on it? What was that one? Conviction? I watched that one too. Yeah, yeah. It actually comes up for me too because I, I love the Gorn and Eames combo so much, but nobody knows who I'm talking about whenever I say their names. I do. Although, I don't know. What'd you think? think of Logan reappearing well, on that. Yeah, yeah, that was I a think thing. that was, but that's also kind of a very Dick Wolf kind of thing where he recycles those actors. In, well, he certainly recycles the actors oh, sure. in different roles, but bringing back some of the characters, at least the ones he doesn't outright kill off. I always feel like he just ran into them in the mall and was like, you're not doing anything next week. We're doing this uh, episode. You want to just come on? That's how it feels to me. Well, Noth, I think, was kicked off the show. Yeah? Like he and Wolf were not 
getting along. So he, like, he did not leave the show by choice. And then they had the movie. Exile. Yes, where it turned out Profaci was the bad guy. I'm, spoiler, I guess. <laughs> That's okay. It's okay. Yes, don't go back and rewatch that movie. Like, we Loganettes were so excited. This was happening. It was like, maybe he'll come back to the franchise. And so at the time, I don't think I realized how dull the movie was, but I tried to rewatch it recently and passed right out. It doesn't hold up is what you're saying. No good. It's like Beatles anthology. It's like, okay, free as a bird. I heard it. Yeah. Sarah, of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite law and order detective team. Um, This is pretty controversial, but I'm the one who thought Chester was kind of amazing. Really? <laughs> yeah. Very, I mean... The underplaying, I guess you could say, was very soothing. Wow. Based on uh, your taste, I don't know if I'd order the same pizzas. <laughs> yeah, you probably wouldn't. Sarah, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. You know, I know Moriarty is bonkers and like kind of a bad guy now, like kind of a bad, crazy person, but mm-hmm. I think Ben Stone and Paul Robinette. Good call. Yeah. Deep cuts. Old school. <laughs> Oldest. OG. Well, let's look at the first half of this episode, Vanity's Bonfire. We begin in the ominous setting of the asphalt jungle, which is a New York City playground. No sooner do Mr. and Mrs. Letty turn their backs than baby Tessa disappears. After ruling out the local sex offender, they look for Dia Nobile, the nice professional photographer who has been taking unsolicited pictures of the children because that's not any less creepy. (laughs) They track her down, rocking the baby that she swears belongs to her. And so ends another seven-minute episode of SVU. (laughs) But why let a simple case end when you can have a PowerPoint showing that Dia has a birth certificate to back her claim that Tessa is really her baby? So the Letty say Tessa was conceived by an unknown surrogate, and they have the paperwork, too. Both documents were drawn up by the same lawyer, now deceased, till the family court can sort it out the baby is taken by social services. Dia says her baby daddy talked her into giving up the baby just for a month or two while he can get divorced. But in a twist of bad luck, she has been with the only married man ever to lie to his mistress about leaving his wife. (laughs) Dia finally identifies the father. He's the prominent dean of the law school. Name's Kent Webster, and his wife is dying of cancer. Now, we'll get to Mr. Webster in a minute, but as soon as you see two yuppies taking photos of their baby with phones on the playground, you know this kid is doomed, right? I know the kid is doomed. They are just too busy, too busy, too busy, too busy to possibly, possibly be the kind of parents who wouldn't get their baby kidnapped from the playground. That was my take when I immediately saw it. I couldn't get past the fact, here's one of those like New Yorky things that I'll just be annoying about it. There are prominent signs posted outside every public playground in the city that are like, if you can't be matched up with a kid, you are not allowed to be there. (laughs) And the nannies take this real serious, like if there's not a cop around, that it's like no unattended adults. Certainly that guy's not going to be chilling next to the slide with his to-go baggie of beer. Yeah, the, the one or two cutaway so shots of him is like, uh-oh, that looks like a... 
A perp. A perp. <laughs> and he's were... like making perp face. Like he yeah. waited until a camera was pointed at him and then was like, well, usually I just look like fourth period bio teacher, but now I'll make a perp face. Yeah. Like, all right. But meantime, there's this woman with no baby going, hey, I'm going to take your picture and then I'm going to sell it to you. And Right. right. Well, she had the very, very convincing disguise of having a diaper bag with yeah. her, which is apparently all you need to kidnap a kid. If only the sex offender knew that. Go get a diaper bag and babies <laughs> are us and you're in. Yeah, thing- you, don't, you don't need perp face. You just need the accessories. <laughs> The thing that really struck me about the Lettys was like the big show, the writers, and we'll talk about the writing, I think, of this episode later, right? Please, please. Sure. Okay. The writers in this episode really wanted us to know, like, these are busy people with busy lives and busy jobs. Because mom is like, I just need to send one more quick email. And then, but then it's like, they're, they're also the kind of parents that like have to take video of putting sunscreen on their kid's face. Like they have the most important child who ever lived. Like. The New Yorkiness that they tried to make these parents be, to me, a little bit ham-fisted. So you're saying they're super assholes. <laughs> I, I was a New Yorker. I resemble that remark. There is a tendency, I think, on this show to, until we descended into the valley of the shadow of live baby fever a couple seasons <laughs> ago, there was definitely a tendency to judge the victims in the sense of like parents who were very busy and not paying enough attention to their kids and being very Brooklyn yeah. about everything. Totally. I live in Brooklyn. I get it. But when you watch a whole block of these reruns every day, like I might, (laughs) it really does start to stick out to you, like how judgy they are about like, well, if you both work and you're not paying attention, you deserve to think some guy with perp face grabbed your kid. I didn't love that. Sarah, remember the early episode with Hayden Panettiere where like the mom doesn't love her kids and they want to prosecute her for that because she's so busy with her singing career. She couldn't possibly love her adopted children. And that was the whole thing is about. It's insane. And yet somehow that one was a heartbreaker. Like Panettiere is really is really good. Super good in that one. So good in that role. and It's heartbreaking. (laughs) And then, oh. And then look what happened. She grew up to be this troubled star on Nashville. True fact. Now, I understand matching diaper bags, but how does uh, she duplicate every detail of the same nursery? You know, I think the crew just said, okay, let's move a rocking chair. We'll shoot it in the same room. <laughs> That's one of the very, very many loose ends of this episode. A couple of holes in this plot, yeah. <laughs> a couple. There was one of the many loose ends of this episode that was never tied up. I think we were to, supposed to believe that she had been in their house, right? But we never hear anything about that. Sarah, did I miss that whole part of the plot? I think there was throwaway line, but this is one of those episodes early in Kelly Giddish's tenure on the show where she was still having trouble disgorging all of that exposition while also swiping right on the fancy <laughs> PowerPoint. <laughs> so I think it was somewhere in that like word garbage salad that she gave us at, like right after the first commercial but I'm not 100 I don't think it ended up mattering are you saying that Kelly Giddish's esteemed acting career as fake Dixie from all my children didn't train her properly for this role uh not yes. for the powerpoints <laughs> that is what I'm saying it is a lot to do I mean I'm married to an actor so I'm like hyper aware of sort of what they're being asked to do just like physically sometimes that she's like got all this computer stage business to do while also it's just a huge expo dump and then everyone is standing around doing their active listening exercise right <laughs> like, are you hyper aware of her costuming too and that super weird studded armed jacket that she was wearing throughout the duration of the interrogation and police uh scenes in this episode 
in the sense that I was maybe trying to source it. Yeah. <laughs> They've been wearing some amazing outerwear, like the double-breasted styles that she and Liv have had in the wintertime lately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I've seen all these like a half a dozen times each. You got to do something. Yeah, yeah. Way to keep it fresh. <laughs> yeah. Now, we do see the natural tension between the characters of Benson and Amaro by which people they sympathize with mm-hmm. when it comes to a he said, she said, or a they said. Captain, I got to tell you, by the look in her eye, DMA have a connection to this baby. Well, what I saw in her eye was a whole lot of crazy. Am I right? Oh, totally. Amara's always like a super sexist, and Benson's always like, the woman is definitely a victim. And Wait, that's how does it make him a sexist if he... If he... He sympathizes al- for the father. Well, he's always saying the father is a victim and the woman is super crazy. A whole bag of crazy. <laughs> it's always something like that. I mean, I- yes, I, I did make a note of that line. <laughs> I love one that's ripped from an obvious headline. I love all of it, except Amaro. I fucking hate that guy. So do <laughs> I. <laughs> finally learned to write the character and then they shot him and shipped him off to wherever he ended up. So you hate the Amaro Sodes, huh? Yes. Oh, Amaro Sodes. Thumbs down. Well, this episode has a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. But it's somebody that we know right away. It's Scott Bakula, yes. as you said, from Quantum Leap and NCIS, NOLA. I mean, he's a guy like you don't even have to look at him and you already know his name. So, of course, you know he's up to no good. Right. Yeah. Well, although there's a couple of hey, it's that guy's Jessica. Is it Jessica Hacked who plays yep. his wife? That yep. was she was on Friends as the lesbian wife of Ross's ex. Right. And she was also on Breaking Bad in a sort of recurring. You got it. You got it. Role. Yep. Yep. And then Luke Kirby, if you watch, uh, he is more famous for something else. But I know him from Rectify on Sundance. Mm-hmm. So it was weird to see him, like, he looks exactly the same, except he's douchey instead of a hard-charging defense lawyer. Well, well who recognized who Dia was? Dia Nobile. That was uh, one of those, she was, the, was she a Phillips? She was yeah, like a, she was. yeah. yeah. Is that, was Bijou she, Phillips, daughter yeah, of Mamas yeah, yeah. and Papas, John Phillips, and half-sister to China and Mackenzie Phillips. Yeah, I could, I Of course, could you the, know her, Rebecca, from her career-making turn on Celebrity Blackjack, <laughs> where she lost to Sharon Doherty. <laughs> I probably did watch, oh, poor Shannon Doherty, what a hard week she's having, huh? Uh, but yes, I did actually watch Celebrity Blackjack a lot when it was on. I thought it was a really good show. Yeah. It was a good show. Did she double down on Six, which is like the thing that I, I was- I think Dia would have doubled Dia down on Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Here's, this is, this is, here's what director James Toback had to say about her. Quote, you never knew what the fuck she would say or do next. She is a genuine psychopath. I say that with affection and admiration. About the actress? Yeah, about Bijou Phillips. But that's something Amaro would say. <laughs> oh, huh? <laughs> Well, look, you know, they could have made Dia a very sympathetic pawn, but instead she she is batshit crazy. That's not an accident, Sarah. No, no, I don't think so, because I think they're also trying to make Count Bakula. (laughs) What is the character's name? Webster? uh, Kent Webster. Nothing good comes of being named Kent on TV and in movies, (laughs) I I don't feel. See, also, uh, what's the one with uh, Val Kilmer where the house fills with popcorn at the end? That wasn't weird science. We're, that real was geniuses. Real genius. Yes. Yes. Real yes, 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 yes. Kent. Didn't go well for him. <laughs> anyway, my point, and I'm sure I did have one. Oh, right. I think they were trying in their own clumsy SVUE way, not to give Kent Webster nuance, but to make it less clear cut that he was like the bad guy. Like they're just trying to kind of make everybody the bad guy here, which great job, guys. Like 
none of this is appealing. Of course, the conclusion is like, oh, you know, it's a, it's sort of a gray area. Like, it's, <laughs> it's really not. But we'll get to that. I'm sure. Yeah, I have a question though, and I don't know. Maybe I'm too early on this, but like, I was really confused. They kept referring to Kent Webster's father, who's like a famous judge who we never see. Right. Right. And then Kent Webster is somehow also famous, even though he's just like a dean at a law school, right? Yeah, but no, I mean, you remember. But then they're like. She's claiming that Tessa's father is Kent Webster. Kent Webster. He's on the short list for the Supreme Court. She's a former yoga instructor. On what planet did these two cross paths? They met on a photo shoot. The editor who fired her still has an order of protection out against okay, her. Okay, I mean, she's unstable, but a lot of guys like drama. Say, like, he's also on the short list for the Supreme Court. Like, who are they talking? Why do they know who this guy is? It's never clear to me. Well, because in New York, apparently uh, academics are uh, Famous? Ch- chased by the paparazzi. Because <laughs> that's what seems to happen. Okay. Can we just put a pin just for a second in Scott Bakula's incredible alibi just yet, I, I want to talk about how, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, I want to talk about how Dia tries to prove that she and Kent Webster are having an affair. Mm-hmm. It, it says yeah. they have all these sexy text messages. Look at his text, my phone's in my bag. You're the only star in my galaxy, my happiest place is in your golden triangle. It's my favorite one. And he sent these from his cell. No, we have a private phone. So there's no way to prove they're from him. Yeah, but he sent me pics of King Sebastian. That's what we call it. Okay. King Sebastian. <laughs> King Sebastian. <laughs> yeah, that's his peewee's name. That's a really great detail. I wonder if, like, the great academic came up with that. He's like, well, he was the king of Portugal in the 1500s. So that's the name <laughs> of my penis. It's Do better you- than little Kent. <laughs> <laughs> When you support us at Patreon at just $5, you will get exclusive content like the Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club, Laura's Rage Walk, the Crime Writers on After Show, and Married with Podcast with Rebecca and me. Start getting your exclusive perks for just $5. Join our own elite squad at patreon.com slash partnersincrimemedia. That's patreon.com slash partnersincrimemedia. Now let's look at the rest of the episode. We meet the frail wife, Jillian, and her daughter, Hannah, who vouch for Kent Webster as a family man and say Dia is a crazy woman. Meantime, the DNA test shows Dia is the mother, but the father is not Mr. Letty. Benson and Finn bluff Webster into thinking the DNA proves he's the dad. Then, the greatest legal mind of his generation comes up with this defense. Dia gave him a hand crank, and his Ziggy did a quantum leap into her uterus. Nice, nice, nice. (laughs) Classy. (laughs) I quit. I quit. Are you talking about the manual release? Yeah. The team discovers that Webster's father, a powerful judge, arranged for the fraudulent adoption papers. Then paparazzi, who are apparently having a slow day, catch Webster and Dia kissing in a hotel. So the cops respond to his disturbance at Diaz, and they find her dead on the floor and Webster rummaging around. Now, Webster's alibi holds up against Diaz's time of death, so they look at Mrs. Webster. She confesses, although she's not strong enough to lift the heavy crystal used to bash (laughs) Diaz's head in. Though Benson and Amaro know it's really the teenage daughter, they let Jillian Webster plead guilty to murder and spend her remaining days in prison. So Webster's paternity alibi, is this the greatest moment in television or is it just me? 
It's not the greatest, no. It is definitely the ickiest moment of this episode, hearing Scott Bakula of Quantum Leap talk about... My wife has been ill and I... This is incredibly embarrassing. Go on. In a moment of weakness, I let her give me a manual release about his manual release and the note that I made both mentally and on my paper is A, he said that on TV, is that okay? And B, ew, 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 ew. (laughs) (laughs) Sarah, your reaction? Maybe I've just been watching too much SVU for too long. That barely even registered to me. I just couldn't get past the fact that as you deemed him, the, you know, second greatest legal mind of his generation thought that this would fly and then did just such a bad job of acting it. Well, I don't think Scott Bakula could even bring himself to look in the camera when he said those lines. He, he didn't just turn away from them. He turned away from America. This is incredibly embarrassing. I felt like every yeah. actor in this episode couldn't like, bring themselves to say these lines. I don't know. I don't want to disparage the writers behind this episode because it could have been a trick of editing. I don't know. All I know is no one really seemed to have their heart in it. I don't know. I mean, there's some where, like, they're almost shooting glances at the camera, like, <laughs> really? <laughs> but whenever um, Ice-T has to wear, like, a fake beard in jail, <laughs> like, the, the long sort of, like, um, Wing Sun fighter beard, that's like, you're not even, that's obviously dryer lint. You're not even trying. What's the budget for that? 17 cents? But this one I really did feel, primarily because we didn't see Webster senior like who is it daniel webster (laughs) the devil and daniel webster it's like he was too busy writing the dictionary like i feel like this episode was probably originally like 48 minutes long and they just couldn't make it work but also there are some weird things about the way that the plot line like plays out with Scott Bakula's family like they live like in a huge huge ass brownstone they're obviously Mm -hmm. like incredibly wealthy how right so there there's a missing piece and then also they get arrested in that like super duper fancy restaurant which is where everybody gets arrested you know if you're in these kinds of episodes of SVU and it's like where's dad like it it really does feel like a lot of missing pieces Sarah's absolutely right Based on who whose headlines this was ripped from, maybe there was a little more attention on it from legal, and they were like, you have to cut this, you have to cut that. Wow. So they shot like a bunch of stuff, and legal was like, here are the five minutes that you can't have. And yet, everyone knowing that this is someone whose name rhymes with fond fed words, <laughs> <laughs> the, the bit of the completely Rococo plotting, even for SVU, that gets left in is where he gets a wristy and that's how he was paternitized. Like, oh. You can see how I didn't think that could in any way father a child. Just to be clear, you're saying that Dia retrieved your semen and then used it to impregnate herself? You see her do that? No, I, I, I when it was over, I left the room Im- immediately. Oh. I know, like that got left in, but I don't remember if uh, Fawn Fedwards alleged that that's what happened with What's her name? <laughs> I don't think that's what he alleged, no. I don't think so. Now, he actually did go to law school and they knew that wouldn't work. He probably went to science class, too. Uh, <laughs> now, Sarah, as a website editor, how much money would you pay for compromising photos of a law school dean? <laughs> well, it depends on the dean and whether his specialty is 
torts mm-hmm. or property, but overall, I'd have to say zero dollars. Right. Really? What if he was doing it on a copy of the Constitution? <laughs> Yeah, why would zero the pa- dollars still zeros out? Why would the yeah. paparazzi follow a law professor? That was definitely one of my capitalized uh, notes during this episode. Apparently, it's he's like uh, these Websters are like Kennedys or something like that, right? And look how we just sort of glossed over poor Dia Nobile's tragic murder. Right? It happens forty minutes into the episode. Right? It's clearly supposed to be like the main story of the show. It's the one that ends up sort of getting like. The whole show is sort of built around like who killed Dia Nobile. It happens forty minutes in. We briefly see her lying on the floor and him rummaging around her drawers, and that's it. Poor Dia, who like played this like central, you know, crazy town fun character all the way up until this point, hardly knew her. Well, this whole other sort of red herring plot line has to do with the Letties and assuming that Baby Tessa was theirs by a surrogate. And so the baby's caught in the middle, and then when the family court judge rules that, well, they sorted out the baby must go into protective custody, Benson's face just drops. Yeah. Which is, you know, very much in her character, sort of the half eye roll, like, I can't believe you're going to do that. Well, babies for Benson, it's like the way that I feel about, I don't know, ice cream, that's like babies for Benson. She's <laughs> all about, especially like, as as V starts to, to ramp up, no, she just wants one like so bad, and they sort of cooked that into her character in a way that's really depressing, where you know it's sort of as hinted at all along, and like Elliot Stabler has all these kids, and like she doesn't, and then it's just it just becomes like so maudlin, and this is a great example of how maudlin it becomes. Although, I mean, on the one hand, I was getting a little tired of her taking every rape that resulted in a pregnancy personally. <laughs> but then she took every kid case personally as well. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but like, it's like sometimes every day is everybody's first day. That's right. But like, sometimes the faces she makes, like, look, she's been doing this a lot of years. Right. Bless her heart. But the way they're directed to just be like, someone was sexually assaulted? <laughs> <laughs> Get me some pearls to clutch. Like, <laughs> you are the lieutenant in charge of this division. Yatch. Get a grip on something, anything. It's not the special car theft unit. Well, that's why they're I so elite. Know. That's what makes them so elite. <laughs> what, that they still have feelings? They haven't lost the capacity for shock. I don't, I don't know. I, don't I, know. I mean, I still love it. Like, the worse and more ridiculous it is, yeah, me the too. more I love it. <laughs> me too. Totally into it. Me well, too. Well, it leads to a very controversial ending where they're going to falsify evidence or at least keep their mouth shut about what they really know happened to let a poor little rich girl go to counseling and let her dying mother take the fall for murder and die in jail. Right. Which and- seems like... Unfair and illegal. And like in other episodes that have had almost this exact same plot, Sarah, I think you know which ones I'm talking about where it turns out like the kid did it. There is uh-huh. no mercy on those fucking kids in these other episodes. For some reason, this little milk toasty girl gets like all of this mercy just because her mom happens to be like a pretty good actress. I don't know. I was pretty dumbfounded by that whole thing. Well, and let me ask you this. What was your feeling on how that situation was left between Benson and Amaro. Jillian has made sure that Hannah gets counseling for everything. The counselor is going to report directly to me. I 
can do this on my own. If you have any doubts, I'm... So, Jillian's confession. She raised that heavy crystal and repeatedly struck Dia's head. Mothers have been known to lift a car when their adrenaline's pumping. Have we ruled out other suspects? Her daughter, where was she? Home. All afternoon, logged in. Yeah, I don't know. I couldn't, I didn't really, so she was like basically trying to get his buy-in, right? So it was like her. But then she also left the door open for him to be like, actually, and like contradict her without implicating her, which he didn't do. But I'm unclear on whether he was like just on the back foot and wasn't sure what he was supposed to do. Yeah. Was this still in the period where she was kind of like, you're not my real stabler and was like stomping out of rooms all the time? Or was she done with that by now? I think I, I think, think she was done. Let's just I mean, he's basically like a petulant teenager. And insofar as we can call her a grown up, I mean, she's <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I mean, sometimes Olivia Benson astonishes me with her strength. But most of the time, I'm like, come on, you know, very much like what Sarah said. But um, yeah, no, I didn't really understand that that dynamic either. And Cragen's like total cluelessness was also incredibly frustrating to me because Cragen does usually have all these kids' numbers, at least in my experience, he does. Yeah, or no, deliberately doesn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, I'm, if look he's the other not way. going to. Yeah, I didn't get that sense from this. I got the sense that he was like, you know, lots of cases out there. Moving on, close it up. I don't know, but it it was a weird moment where I think we were supposed to take something from it that I'm not sure they communicated in terms of their partnership and having each other's backs. I'm just not a hundred on where it was at the end. Totally agree. Now we never actually uh, find out what happened to the baby and we want to take some guesses. Unless our DVR cut off that part. That is like the the biggest loose end I have ever seen at the end of any episode of any franchise of Lone Sorry. Uh, On the episode that you watched, do we find out what happened to the baby? Uh, no. However, <laughs> I'm going to assume that it goes back to the the Letties or the Teddies or the the Brooklyns, whatever their names were. The Letties, not to the dead that mother. Eventually, huh? no. Well, that would be awkward. Uh, well, they awkward. finally have to get a good lawyer so they can make that happen. I think the biggest cliffhanger, at least in this franchise that I can remember, is the one where. Oh, I don't remember this actress's name, but uh, Professor, her art professor, Billy Campbell. She accuses him of raping her. He says she just liked it rough. It just goes back and forth like this. And Benson and Stabler are screaming, fighting (laughs) over this case. And then we don't get a verdict. But there's like a super long act out that's like the lady and the tiger of SVU episodes. And we don't ever (laughs) find out what happened. This one was similar. And it did put me in mind of that other one. But you almost expect like discussion slide to come up like in the social hygiene film. (laughs) Like, what would you do? Would you accept the hand job or not? Gallant believes the victim's statement. (laughs) Goofus thinks she's full of shit. Oh, she just quoted a highlights talking about SVU. I feel so dirty now. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't use the word Ziggy in connection with the bacusperm. That was your boy, Kevin. It was. It was. He's very classy. Well, that was from uh, yeah. Quantum Leap. Okay. That was the name of the computer. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did you it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode takes some cues from the real-life drama surrounding former presidential candidate John Edwards and his affair with a staffer. 
Edward's campaign had hired Riel Hunter in 2006 as a videographer to document his run for the White House. Edward's family life was in the news because his wife, Elizabeth, announced she had breast cancer. Rumours about the liaison with Edward's staffer first got attention in the tabloids before the mainstream media ran with them. Then Hunter gave birth to a baby girl in 2008. Edwards did everything he could to hide his connection to his love child. He enlisted staffer Andrew Young to claim paternity of the baby, and the campaign diverted political contributions to Hunter as hush money. Edwards finally admitted to the affair, but denied he was the father of Hunter's baby, still saying it was Young's. In 2010, Edwards would come clean about his paternity. Elizabeth Edwards legally separated from her husband and died several months later. John Edwards was charged with six felonies related to the campaign payoffs. Although the jury failed to convict him, the scandal put an end to the career of a charismatic politician. Now, Rebecca, that's the real story. You have your own story about John Edwards, right? Oh, I really do. Oh, thank you for giving me the opportunity to tell America about this. Back in 2004, I was standing on my porch getting the mail when a very nice presidential candidate came on to the walkway up to my house, which, by the way, actually does happen here. like In New Hampshire. In New Hampshire. Hampshire primary, yeah. A lot. And um, it was John Edwards. And this was way back in the day. And uh, I'm just going to say I liked him a lot. We talked for like half an hour. I thought he was the real deal. That really happened. <laughs> and did you vote for him? No. So the um, return on the investment of that half hour was pretty, was pretty No, low. no, no, no. It wasn't good he for him. He has a wonderful voice, though. I always felt like whatever happened in politics, which now will be Bubkiss, he would have a fine future narrating like if City Confidential ever came back. <laughs> totally, totally. And he wrote, he wrote that. He'd be a great narrator he, for that. He wrote that book about his legal cases, and it was like, you know, fighting for the little guy. I don't know. I, I liked him at the time. I did not recognize, though, anything about the John Edwards story in this episode of SV. If you hadn't told me that's what it was based on, I never, ever would have guessed that. Because you you're still in love with him from that half hour. No, on there the- was just nothing about the SVU episode that was anything like the John Edwards story, except for the fact that Dia Nobile was a photographer, which is barely connected because Riel Hunter was a videographer, not a photographer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so much oh, of it. Yeah. That's enough of the change at NBC Universal Legal. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's good. Make her a photographer. But he wasn't running for office. Maybe that was the part that got cut where he was supposed to be in the Supreme Court. I don't really know. I don't, because who is that then? The Oliver Wendell Holmeses? <laughs> the Al Gores? I don't think so. But I wouldn't have caught it either on my own because they put the card up at the beginning that's like, yeah. we know we always say this, but we're going to leave it up a little extra long this time. This is not based on anyone real. And I was like, so who's it based on? <laughs> so I Googled it. <laughs> because I really, I was like, well, I'm being tortured with an Amaro Sode for a reason. And I want to know what that reason is. And now I know. But it, we're strolling down memory lane with Rebecca and John Edwards. That's right. That's right. So, but, you know, the real life story and in the fictional uh, version here, doctoring up some adoption paper seems like child's play compared to getting a staffer to claim your love child as his own. Right. And Dia was in on saying the baby wasn't hers. Like she was in on it. Like she was okay yeah, with but giving no, up I'm talking about Andrew Young, the guy who worked for oh, the yeah. real... There was John no, Edwards yeah. said, oh, no, it's it's my baby. That was I mean, how much of a sycophant yeah. do you have to be? To, okay, sure, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> well, and also, it's not going to be just for a few months in real life. Like, presumably, the end game is the White House. So this is basically indefinitely keeping the secret and pretending, like, this kid is yours and you don't know about this relationship. Like, I mean, I guess this is how sociopaths like Edwards think. 
it does give me hope that House of Cards could be more real than we think it is, <laughs> honestly. Because it, it was like a very like Doug Stamper thing for that guy to do, right? Yeah. I'll do uh, anything to protect you. I'll, you know, and I am one of the few, just as controversially as, you know, you have your favorite detective in SVU. I'm one of the few people in America who feels like a tremendous amount of empathy for Doug Stamper and like likes him a lot. Oh my um, gosh. We love Doug Stamper at previously.tv. <laughs> love him. I love him a lot. And I, I do feel, I feel for that guy. What's he doing? And now you think we should look it up <laughs> what? uh probably doing that weird bourbon injection <laughs> thing that, that was the only thing i didn't like about doug stamper i was like son that's perfectly good bourbon Speed <laughs> it up. at least swish it around in your mouth and spit it uh, out yeah. ain't nobody got time for that that's right that's right hey you know despite uh, the sympathetic profile she enjoyed. The book Game Change says that Elizabeth Edwards was a crazy freaking bitch. I does, remember that. Does that change your opinion of her at all? Nope. No. No. I'm sorry. I think that is sexist bullshit right there. I think that you can be John Edwards' wife. She probably had a not-so-great personal life. She's being dragged around the country when she has cancer. She's, uh, as you know, having been a reporter and attended house parties with Elizabeth Edwards, she was able to put on a great game face for the crowd, yes mm-hmm. or no? Yeah, she's is very that nice not her to job? me. Is that not that, her job? That is the, the political spouse, yeah, that is your job. And if she's not nice to people behind the scenes because she's tired, because she has, I don't know, cancer, that is her damn right. And nobody would ever say to the perfect male politician, like, like nobody talks about men that way. So I, I take umbrage at besmirching the reputation of the cancer-stricken, now-deceased Elizabeth Edwards. When and I'm- even if she weren't cancer-stricken, fuck off. <laughs> That's going to do it for us. Thank you to our great guest, Sarah D. Bunting. Sarah, where can listeners follow you online? Oh my gosh. Well, the easiest place to follow me and get all my latest thoughts on baseball, true crime, law and order, and random disgusting snacks that only I enjoy is on Twitter at Tomato Nation. And I hope that you will visit my other site, previously.tv, and enjoy all of our law and order content. There's so much of it and more coming all the time. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was so great. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Now, Rebecca, where can our listeners follow you? They can't find me and any of the places Sarah Debunting is because she is more talented and cooler than I am. But they can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Reb Lavoie. And you can tweet to me at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a review on iTunes. It helps others discover this program just like you did. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. These Are Their Stories was recorded in Studio C and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.